agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government has the government love. The government has the government love. The government Welcome to the Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by my conservative counterpart, Cleveland area attorney and defender of freedom, Jay Carson. Hey, good morning, Mike. Hey, Jay, how are you doing this morning? Well, for this week, I uh, I agree with Stacey Abrams that uh, uh, high turnout has nothing to do with suppression. <laughs> okay, well, we'll talk about that. I'm just, I, I'm just saying in my... I'm turning. I'm turning out, but I feel still feel suppressed. I okay. I I certainly get that. Um, you know, we we've got a lot. I think for today's show, uh, obviously, we're going to talk about the tragic mass shooting in in Texas, uh, primary elections this last week, President Biden signing an executive order on police accountability on the second anniversary of George Floyd's killing. Uh, some bipartisan legislation that. Uh, hopes to regulate big tech and the firing of a Princeton classics professor and why that might be a thing important to understand. And maybe even a little bit about our uniquely stupid last decade, if we have the time to get to it. Anyway, we're going to try to get to as much of that as we possibly can. And we will get started with that in just one minute. Okay, Jay. So we open today's show with the tragic and horrific mass shooting at Ross Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, where a gunman murdered 21 people, 19 of them children. Uh, And this, of course, follows the mass shooting in Buffalo, New York, which happened only 10 days before that. And we still, there's a lot we still don't know at this point. Certainly, it seems like the response was, uh, I, I think it would be Fair to say, wanting in many ways, it seems like at this point. But yeah, now, not looking at the specific incident instance, but kind of the broader discussion that we have. And Jay, you and I have had this conversation. I would say far too many times. I'm, uh, I'm, my, I'm, I'm actually thinking back. I think our first show that we ever did, which I'm sure no one listened to, which is which is a, good, a thing. good thing. Um, yeah, which just we did like over the phone, sort of. I, I believe it was a, a mass a mass shooting. Yeah, and, and wouldn't be it, it wouldn't be surprising because of course the United States is the world leader by far in in mass shootings, and it's a problem that I think tragically shows no sign of going away. Um, so I, I thought I thought we'd start with the shooting itself and then kind of branch out from that. Jay, any just initial thoughts on, well, I guess how the shooter obtained his weapons, how things played out and, and the, the schools and, and law enforcement's response based on you know, based on what we know at this point. And again, should point out it's still a very uh, evolving situation in terms of that. Yeah, well, I'm I'm as always a little hesitant to get into these kind of things before we know all the facts. Um, I, I mean, at this point, it, it would appear that uh, the shooter uh, purchased the guns legally. Um, uh, it would also appear that there were serious lapses in security and, and response. Um, and I, I don't, I mean, this, I'll, I'll tell you, this is, this is, I have, um, you know, I have, kids and, and this is this is tough to talk about um and just the the idea that that uh someone would be so sick or so evil 
and it, I, I guess at some point, right, maybe the, 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 it's one and the same, um, that they would kill children. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard. And to me, that's almost, you know, the, the, you know, again, and then the difficulty is that's evil is a tough policy issue to deal with, right? There's well, no, let's, let's, well, there's, there's no easy public policy. Yeah. You know, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back on that right away because I, I understand wanting to, I understand the use of that term, but, but I think that's an incredibly unhelpful term it tries to sort of explain away something without no, really no, an explanation and, and, no and I'm, I'm i'll tell you what i'm gonna agree with your pushback okay uh, okay uh, no no because because look i'm i'm i i said sick and or evil right. and, yeah. and 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 because i i'll tell you i have the same response so often um uh, when there's a problem and and you know it's, it's well it's it's you know it's because racism you know right. what i mean and it's okay. well how does that how does that help move the ball forward then yeah um but I, I think we could look at, uh, you know, one, if if we want to have a discussion on availability of, of guns, I think that's a good discussion to have. Right. Um, and, and I'm not sure where I come out on that discussion. Uh, I But I think everybody would agree that certain restrictions uh, would be reasonable. Well, yeah, let, let's, and, let's and, yeah. and then I guess the second part of that to me is, is also the, the mental health issue. Is there a public policy thing we can, we can do about, about that? Okay. Um, yeah, because I, I think, you know, look, guns have been ubiquitous in America, uh, or, you know, since the founding, um, you can certainly argue there are, are a lot more now than there were then. Uh, but this, the things that we're seeing, uh, in terms of mass shootings, especially school shootings, um, are of, of a more recent vintage. It's it's the last 30, 30 years or so. Um, and a, a commonality that we're seeing in all of these, uh, aside from the guns, is also it's it's disturbed young men. Uh, and and I think that's you know we we need to look bo- look at both sides of of the equation there. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, when when President Biden, his remarks on it, he said, in part, you know, when in God's name are we going to do what we all know in our gut needs to be done? Uh, And, and, you know, it was a very emotional uh, uh, statement. And I I certainly understand the president's frustration and I I share it. Right. But I don't really agree that we all know in our gut what needs to be. I don't know. Yeah. But I, I do think that there's at least the remote possibility that that there are certain things that it seems like enough of us might agree on to take some sort of reasonable action. Like I would think probably the first thing that comes to mind for me for this is red flag laws, laws, right, which allow authorities to temporarily take guns from people deemed by a judge to be a threat to themselves or others. I, I think that's, if you're going to start with, with one policy that I think both may actually address these situations potentially and have some sort of potential bipartisan support, it seems to me that that is probably the key starting point. I wanted to get your take on, on that to begin with. Yeah, I I would uh, support that sort of sort of thing. It, provided, look, you you would need to have a proper showing um, to protect you know due process rights. 
but that said, I, I don't think as long as there is such a showing, um, I wouldn't see any constitutional problem with, with something like that. Now, again, when I say, you know, such a showing, uh, I don't think you could, you know, you can't just, you know, have an anonymous phone call to the police saying, Hey, I think this guy's nuts. Uh, right. I mean, I think there needs to be some, some sort of evidence, uh, uh, hearing, uh, uh, you know, and that's how red flag laws uh, yeah, work in, exactly. in the, I think it's 19 states that they actually are. Uh, in, well, in I mean, I think the, the specifics of them are going to vary from state to state and law to law, right? Sure. Uh, so that's what I'm saying. But as long as those protections are built into uh, the statute, I mean, it's the same thing. Look, right now we have laws, I'd imagine, in just about every state that um, if someone seeks a um, civil protective order in a domestic case or whatever, anti-stalking order, uh, or, or other assault, um, you know, courts are free even in the, the interim, right. Uh, uh to order, you know, Hey, you got to hand over your guns, um, before there's a full, you know, final hearing. Typically the way those, those you know, work is there's a, uh, ex parte hearing where the, uh, the, the petitioner comes in the court and says, look, I, I've got a big problem. I need a, a protective order right now. Judge grants the order ex parte. And then you have, the more full hearing and, uh, you know, typically it's within two weeks after that. Um, so, so yeah, what I'm saying is those, those processes already exist in, in other forms. I don't see any constitutional problem in extending them to, uh, uh, other situations where there are the, the red flags. Yeah. And, and it's one thing to have these laws in place. It's another thing for them to actually be, the public to understand them then be utilized. For instance, I believe in, in the case of the Buffalo shooting, there actually was the potential because there is a, a red flag law in, in New York state that that could have at least had the potential to uh, uh, have some sort of effect in that, in that instance. And so it's not just having a law, it's people understanding how the law works and being able to, you know, and being comfortable enough with right. Yeah. Engaging in that system. Uh, there was a, and you know, there's, there's certainly you mentioned these disturbed young men. There's a profile, right, that is uh, recognizable by researchers, at least generally speaking. Uh, the well, not by researchers, I would say by the by, by people in general, most anybody, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, the Secret um, Service found did a thing and found that among uh, school school shooters, around eighty percent had been bullied. Three quarters had some kind of disciplinary history at school. And one of the recommendations they made is in creating what they call threat assessment teams, which would include teachers, administrators and law enforcement to kind of help identify you know, potential shooters. And just generally, I think just more generally, kids who have real problems and trying to stage some sort of intervention, not just just so they don't go and, you know, kill people, but just so they can actually get the help they need. And I think that's certainly something that we could do on the mental health side of things. Yeah. No, and I, I am uh, uh, full agreement on that. Um, but, I, but I should also point out people who are hoping for uh, federal but, action. Well, I'm sorry, Mike, let me just add one more thing. Yeah. Um, I, well, I say I, I'm in full agreement on that. I, I think I also want to add the caveat that um, – that's that's all great uh, on paper, um, but the problem is in in real life, especially dealing with uh, someone who's mentally ill. Um, yeah. You know what's on paper doesn't always translate, and that, and that's that's and, and I yeah because I've seen that so many times. Listen, you get a uh, civil protective order and says, listen, this person can't 
come within so many feet of you and he has to give up his weapons and, and so forth. Um, but that's that piece of paper uh, isn't going to make a difference to exactly. a, a crazy person. And, and not only that, but uh, if you think of real life situations, let's say you have a you have a close friend and you think that he's nearing the edge and you know that he has guns. How comfortable are you going to be if you're not entirely sure? you know, calling up or in, in trying to start a process by which somebody may or may not take his guns. And if they don't, do you really yeah, want to deal exactly, with it? Yeah. So that's, so it's certainly not, not nothing. And if it's done in a way that maybe involves like, like the secret service suggested, you know, that school authorities and other kind of outside people who maybe have a little more distance, maybe that's, that that's uh, an approach that's worth considering. But as you pointed out, there's the what's on paper, what's in law, and then there's the reality. And there's that, yeah, inherent limits in in how what how how well it can work. Yeah. Exactly, and I should also point out that uh, what I was going to get to is that if you're if anyone is expecting Congress to pass some sort of a national red flag law, I, I think that's not going to happen. You're going to be disappointed in that. Uh, back in, I think it was 2021, actually, uh, there was actually a bipartisan effort in the Senate, which was led by uh, Marco Rubio, Republican Florida, to encourage states to implement red flag laws through a grant program. And that actually never even got out of committee. And, and so I think probably that the best that we could hope for in terms of legislation at the federal level would be some sort of a something like that but there's not going to be a mandatory federal red flag sort of law i i think i'm i'm pretty sure that that's just not going to happen and yeah. that to me is the bare minimum so there's there are not going to be any any federal standards imposed on states as a result of that it's just not going to happen there aren't 60 votes for anything like that. At least that's my take on the, the legislative environment. I wanted to get your response to that. Um, I, I would say, um, I think, I think there's been a shift. Yeah. I, I, you know, Jay, I, know, I, I understand. I, I, I'm, I'm yeah, not saying yeah, that you necessarily yeah. get a red flag law, but I, I do think there's something different this time. Um, and, and I, so I, no, yeah, I, 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 I would say, and again, my my preference obviously would be that if we're going to pass these laws, they ought to be done at the state level. And that's exact. That's my point: is that what's going to happen at the federal level is there there are the Republicans who are going to say, well, this is a state issue, and states should definitely do that sort of thing. And also, there's the Second Amendment issue. And between those two things, what's going to happen is uh, a, a whole lot of of furor right now, certainly, understandably so. And then the people involved are just going to kind of wait for it to die down, at which it will. We'll go. We'll move on to the next thing, and there will be no meaningful legislation passed. Certainly not in Texas, where this happened, and not anywhere else. I, I feel I feel sickly confident uh, uh, of that. And sick meaning it makes me feel sick. So yeah, I no, I, I don't think there's been a shift at all. I think people are upset right now and horrified, just like we were upset or horrified after every other mass shooting. I, honestly, I think that somebody could go into a school and kill and kill two hundred kids, and none of this would change, not at all, not a bit. Um, well, I, I I disagree, but um, yeah, well, and again, I, I when I say I think there's I see a shift, I I don't expect uh, a big 
bipartisan gun control or red flag uh, bill coming through, uh, passing out of Congress. Um, but I would I, I could see something more narrow, like a, a Rubio proposal of of giving states money to to implement something uh, passing. And I, I would say, you know, the states in which that which is perhaps most needed would be the states in which that would be least likely to happen. So that's why I, I think it's just and you know, that's federalism, right? If if the people in the state yeah. of Texas say, you know what? We're going to accept essentially, and this is how I framed it a lot. We're going to accept essentially uh, more gun violence, more gun deaths as the price we pay for easier access to weapons. And uh, then that's that's a decision that those folks make. And I, I for a long time have said that, you know, I at least have a certain amount of, even if I disagree, a certain amount of respect for people who frame it that way. But saying that, well, you know, this is the this is a mental health issue or this is an evil issue. Well, sure, those are aspects. But as many folks have pointed out, you know, there's mental health issues all around the world. It's there are two parts of this, right? Yeah, there, there, there are sick people. There are messed up people. And then there is, well, you know, th- there's a reason why we don't give why we don't give babies power tools, for instance. You know, I mean, there's 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 serious there's access of things that can harm ourselves and others. And we have, it's, and I'm sure you don't disagree with this, Jay, right? That in the United States, there is greater access. There is more of a gun culture than anywhere else in the world. Yeah, I, th- I think that's yeah. right. And so, you know, when, when Mitch McConnell uh, said he encouraged John Cornyn to talk with Senate Democrats and other folks about this, he specifically said, and I, this is very McConnell-esque, he was who people who are interested in trying to get an outcome that is directly related to the problem, right? Because this is another part of the conversation. Mm, well, isn't that what you would would want? Well, yeah. Well, it yes. I mean, I guess I guess of I, it, I, from what I I would read that as Ms. McConnell saying, listen, if you've got uh, actual solutions proposals that could be solutions uh, to what's happening, let's hear it. Um, but so often the proposal uh, or the the so-called solution you see is just the um, knee jerk. We want to ban. We want to ban guns. Well, and that's what what I'm saying here is what is how do we define the problem? You know, when I teach public policy, I always just say the kids uh, that the solution you're going to get to is very much dependent on how you define the problem. Now, if we're defining the problem, as I think a lot of a lot of folks on the right are, at least in Congress, as as mass shootings in schools, that's going to lead to one very specific sort of set of policy suggestions, whereas a lot of us on the left define the problem as much more broadly as gun violence as right. being a specific instance. That's going to lead to a very different set of solutions, because if we define it just as mass school shootings, well, that's incredibly rare. Uh, the Associated Press did a tally of uh, gun uh, mass shootings, school shootings over the last basically 23 years, 169. And if you run the math on that, that's a death rate, if you will, of around one in 1.3 million, which is, you know, an incredibly the, the likelihood, right, of a child being killed as a result of gun violence in a school is less than the, re- the likelihood of that ki- that child being killed uh, in a car accident driving sure. to school. And so, you know, and even if we look at mass shootings more broadly, they make up a very tiny percentage of all gun deaths, right? I mean, in 2020, 54% of gun deaths were suicides, 
43% homicides and the remaining 3% like accidental, undetermined cause, that sort of thing. And so, I mean, uh, well, mass shootings are maybe slightly over 1% of the total, uh, maybe around 2.5% of all non-suicide gun deaths. And so that's why I think, what problem are we trying to solve here? And on the, I think on the right, it, it's not the problem of gun violence, right? It's the problem of mass shootings, or I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's exactly right. And and I think that's that's a, a good way to, to address policy problems, right? Is is that their most specific? Well, y- y- yes. I mean, it, it's, it's sort of uh, because, um, again, the term gun violence to me is, is, is just sort of, again, very, very hazy. Uh, uh, this is, you know, I think I complained about this a couple of weeks ago, wherever, you know, local police report that and the mayor always says, well, there was an incident of gun violence uh, at such and such a place. Uh, by which they mean someone was held up. Well, is that gun violence? Maybe, maybe not. Um, and my also response is every time I hear that though there is gun violence, I you know ask if they if they caught the guns that did it. Um, but 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 look, if if you're talking about you know every heart disease kills uh, a lot of people, uh, cancer kills a lot of people, uh, but the treatment for each uh, is different. Uh, lung cancer kills a lot of people, um, but that's also different than, than you know colon cancer. And and I think you need to tailor uh, your public policy solutions to the particular problem you're trying to solve. And that's the reason I think where there's there's so much distrust on the right when um, um, uh, liberals will say, "Well, look, we'd like to have uh, something. We want to do something about these school shootings." Uh, and you know, you say, "Okay, well, let's let's talk about." hardening the targets in the schools. Let's talk about more mental health uh, in the schools. Let's talk about red flag laws. Um, uh, you know, all those kind of, you know, potentially arming uh, people in the in the schools. Um, but then the, the response you get is, well, no, we want whatever mass registration uh, and or confiscation or limitations on, on, on guns to solve this bigger gun violence problem. Right, because of course, if you solve that problem, then all these other downstream problems get solved. So, I mean, yeah. I, I, but, that, but that's like that's like saying, listen, um, people uh, people are getting uh, COVID or, or not COVID. Let's say uh, again, heart disease. Um, you know, rather than looking at specific interventions to to do that, we should say yeah, everybody just needs to have a much better, more healthy lifestyle across the board. Which would, of course, be great, right? That's a good thing to do, but you're going to get more people on board and you're going to sure. move the ball forward more quickly by okay. a- addressing the yeah. discrete problem. Yeah. I, 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 from a policy and from how we move forward perspective, I agree. Uh, I, other folks would say, well, look, look what happened in Australia after the Port Arthur shootings and that sort of thing. Entire countries can change and they have, but they're not the United States. And the fact of the matter is with around 400 million guns with by far the, the most guns, uh, most per capita guns and, and, that with that gun culture asking yeah asking that's asking for that sort of change is maybe that would be great you know like for instance i would love it if everyone became vegan but that's not going to happen and me pushing for that is just going to create more problems and and build more resentment you know even if i'm right which of course i am but that doesn't really help at a very kind of pragmatic type of level but also i I think it's important what what you just pointed out though the the, the contradiction of we have so many guns, <clears throat> yet these mass shootings, school shootings, 
uh, are, I mean, you know, on the one hand, you know, when you when you look at all causes of death, exceedingly rare. Yeah. So so that's I mean, and I think that's that's sort of the argument is uh, there are a lot of people who have a lot of guns, um, but the vast, vast majority of them are law abiding and aren't any threat. Yeah. Which would so. suggest that something like uh, a very robust system of red flag laws that weren't just like that, that actually involved school authorities and other things that were, there was a lot of attention paid to that, that would be something that would be much more targeted to address that specific yeah. subgroup of the population. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I certainly agree with that. Another thing that would be presumably directly related to the problem, as McConnell put it, would be banning or consider a ban on the sale of high capacity magazines, right? I mean, uh, the, the Uvalde shooter used them. Most mass shooters, I believe, before him used some sort of high capacity magazine that's typically defined as 10 rounds or more. And a high capacity magazine ban was part of that 1994 assault weapons ban. And there were more than a few loopholes in that ban. But there's a large body of research that suggests that this was associated with the reduction in mass shooting deaths. And there's more recent research that suggests that particularly it's not so much the type of weapon, but reduction of high capacity magazines may have been a key component of that. And there are, in fact, right now, 10 states that prohibit high capacity magazines, the states you would expect pretty much. And it seems to me just from a logical standpoint, that makes sense, because if you have a lower capacity magazine, you have to take more time to reload and you can't, you know, that gives law enforcement more opportunities and then other folks. So, so what do you think about that? I mean, that's certainly more restrictive, right? And, you know, a lot of folks on the left would say, well, why do you need a hundred round drum, you know, magazine anyway? So uh, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I, I don't have any specific issue with magazine reduction stuff. And see, um, you know, a, a lot of people do though. There have been, there's kind of a, not exactly a meme. I don't know what you call a, a saying or whatever a catchphrase, I guess, with some folks on the right saying, Hey, the second amendment isn't for hunting, right? The, the idea, true, and, yeah. and there are plenty of people on the right who say the reason we need high capacity magazines is we believe, and you can disagree with us, but we believe right. that there may come a time in our lifetimes where we need to defend ourselves against the state. And we don't want to have to deal with it. And if we're going to do that, we need, we need ammo. We need a lot of it. And we need to be able to fire rapidly. And that's, that's the, so, so sure we don't need it for deer hunting, but that's not why we have a second amendment. We have it to defend ourselves against the state. And if needed, if the state becomes tyrannical, to rebel, to, to rise up in armed rebellion against the state. And for that, we're going to need high capacity magazines. And I, I wanted to get your your reaction to that, because that, to a lot of folks on the left, I think they don't maybe fully grasp that that is very much a mindset among a non-insignificant number of Americans. Yeah, no, I, I, and I think, look, from the, from sort of like constitutional sort of theoretical standpoint they're exactly right um there is very much this sense of uh the fact that um you're able to keep and, and bear your own arms is sort of the guarantor of the other liberties it keeps the government honest uh if you will um as a practical matter it comes back it comes back down to look anyone uh no matter how many rounds you have 
if you're going up against the federal government, you're going to be outgunned. Um, so I'm, I'm, again, I, I, I want to say I understand that, that argument, uh, and I think it's a non, I think it's it's not a frivolous argument, um, but I, I don't think. Um, well, I think the- it's, it's realistic, and and I, you know, I, I'd be interested. I'd be interested in seeing, you know, the kind of the numbers on how many large capacity magazine sales there are and where they are and um, how that's changed and and so forth. Well, I mean, I, there, we are we are we are awash in, in large capacity magazines. I mean, most magazines these days, uh, I would I would hazard to guess, are ten or more rounds. That's not really big for i mean even handgun magazines 10 or more rounds is not at all so and they're also easy not it's not incredibly difficult to sort of uh, create or modify, right, modify things yeah. and that sort of thing and so uh, you know we we're a, we're a washing guns we're a washing high capacity magazine certainly and so i guess on one i think it's a good idea in theory but in practice i think that sort of thing would be fairly easy to circumvent for the sort of people who would be interested in circumventing that sort of thing but well no and i I think that comes back to the you know again this is the you know age old almost a meme on the right um if you outlaw guns the only people who have guns will be outlaws and you could just insert high capacity magazines right uh if you outlaw them the only people who will have high capacity magazines will be will be criminals so well, you know, I think that's kind of that logic. And, and look, of, I know, know, and I will get the argument. That you would say, "Well, look, that makes it sure your hardened criminal um, uh, drug cartel member uh, will still find a way to get these weapons, but uh, it would be more it will be more difficult for your disturbed eighteen year old kid to get them." Exactly. Or yeah. you know, even even more. I mean, when we talk about when we talk about gun violence or gun deaths, I mean that the thing we don't talk about or rarely talk about is that what, what accounts for the majority of that is that suicide, right? right. And now there, there's a libertarian. Yeah, I would say there, I, I'm not seeing the rational relationship between the high magazine right. count and the suicide. Right. That would just be more availability of weapons, obviously. Yeah. So, so yeah. You know, I, I want to, uh, so let's move on maybe to uh, another uh, idea, I guess. Uh, some people suggest is that very popular, I guess what you'd say the center left, is about requiring liability insurance for gun owners. Now, to this point, this hasn't really been, there's one place actually where this has been put into place, San Jose, California. They passed a liability insurance requirement in actually in late January of this year. And the basic idea here is that instead of adding on more government regulations and restrictions, we leave a lot of this to the market. So say if you're an 18-year-old male and you want to buy an AR-15 and 300 rounds and a bunch of high-capacity magazines, well, you're probably going to have to fork out a significant insurance premium and show proof of insurance before that can be sold to you. And so what do you think about that kind of approach, Jay, as opposed to something that relies on specific government restrictions. I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily oppose the insurance piece of it. Uh, again, the efficacy of it, I'm, I'm a little unsure of. Right? I mean, we have we have laws that you have to show proof of insurance to get your driver's license renewed. Um, 
of course, your insurance can lapse and you can still end up driving uninsured. Um, and I, I would, you know, I, I guess it's, it's again, sort of the, the mind-boggling sort of thing of, you know, someone's on their way to a mass shooting and they're going to be stopped by, by police and say, hey, can you show me your proof of insurance? Um, right. But, but I mean, to extend that argument, you wouldn't say, well, why do we have why should we bother to have auto insurance? Because people can drive uninsured. It's it's a matter of, again, maybe this gets right. Back right. To but the, but okay. again, what you're what you're doing is you're appealing to the the people who are by nature law abiding. Right. But, right. The criminals, the criminal. What I'm saying is the insurance uh, requirement is not going to deter the criminal uh, or the person who's insane. Now, there may be a, a roadblock. Right. Or a. a um, um, uh, a speed bump, uh, if you will, if it's a matter of before you purchase a firearm, you have to show proof of insurance. Um, and that can be important. That's my I'm not, point. I'm not, sure, right? I'm not sure how that. But it can be important practice, because. Right? Cause, cause like you got to show that, you know, it does depend on, on the type of person you are, the uh, gun you're buying. Um, but that's what the market would. That's it, where you're carrying it. But that's my point. That's what the market would figure out. I mean, insurance companies know how to assess risk and do that all the time, yeah, and yeah. and can respond a lot more quickly yeah, and, and, and more and, efficiently. The, the, the insurance companies might well say, um, "Hey, you're uninsurable." There you go. Yeah. And so that and and that gets to another issue, right? There are two potential issues with this because I know a lot of folks like you know, this I, idea. I, I, Former felon, young young teens, spend most of my time online uh, on uh, yeah, good luck, uh, yeah. racist websites or uh, first person shooter games. Uh, what kind of premium am I looking at? Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, yeah. exactly, right, exactly. And and a lot of folks would say, well, that's exactly the outcome that we want. But there are two big concerns. Yeah, yeah. But again, I think then it comes back to you know, then the person's like, well, darn, I can't get insurance. Uh, guess I won't get a gun. Well. And- so some people clearly that's not going to be the case, but for some people it will be, to, right? I'll have to get the gun, uh, you know, that I'm going to use in the shooting illegally. Sure. Just like in countries where guns are just flat out illegal, people who are determined enough will get guns, right? Yeah. But But you're not saying that this won't stop, that this will stop some people. I, no, I could see it being a a, a roadblock or a speed yes. bump or or, a, or or one of the... An instance that could raise a red flag. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, okay. Right? So, yeah, so, I think look, we this, actually this agree. I applied yeah. for insurance, but was turned down. Well, but I think there are two. Well, there, there's. Two, then, but there's another issue with that. We'll at least back. two problems with this. Number one, there are uh, there are uh, one of our uh, listeners on, on Discord raised this. There are inequality concerns, right? Because who's going to be most affected by this? Well, high premiums for this sort of thing is uh, poorer folks who you could argue maybe are most in need of home protection or something like that. And but that's yeah. a reasonable issue. But an even bigger issue, it seems to me. Uh, potential constitutional issues. Can you essentially, can, can certain people basically be deemed uninsurable when it comes to what the Supreme Court has said is a fundamental right? Because if we have a fundamental constitutional right to bear arms, but the state sets up a system by which you have to meet a requirement through the market, that you are not able to meet, well, then aren't you, in fact, being denied this fundamental right? Whether it's through the state or through a private insurer, it doesn't seem to me to matter 
And that to me is a pretty significant issue because I, if I were, if I were somebody uh, who, you know, who were interested in challenging this, I, I would say the San Jose law, I think I would have a pretty, it's a pretty strong case. And I wanted to get your, your take on that. Well, I think you would. Yeah. And yeah. So, I mean, if it's, if it's essentially banning, but now I think that the, the, I don't want to say hilarious, but um, kind of the crazy workaround, right. Would be, well, then the government will just provide a subsidy. For you right. to buy your, your insurance, insurance yeah, yeah. so that your rights are not. Um, and, and again, you're getting into this, again, completely bizarre world, right? Where, yeah. where now we're spending money to pay people uh, to uh, so they can get guns. Um, yeah. yeah. And that gets to, uh, with a lot of these proposals, that, that gets into that issue because uh, regulating, we regulate all kinds of stuff in this country, but when it comes to regulating fundamental rights, that's a lot more difficult because then the state has a much higher burden and has to use least restrictive means. And, yeah. and that that's really tricky. And that goes to me back to the idea of, well, what does the Second Amendment actually mean? Well, you know, five five uh, justices on Supreme Court and, and Heller said, well, it means that there's an individual right to bear arms. I I disagree with that. I think that th- those five those five justices got it wrong and the four justices in the minority were right that, you know, you, that there is not an individual right. But as long as that decision stands and I don't see it changing any time in the near future, that is going to present a significant problem, even if there were the political will to make some of these changes. Right. Yeah. Um, and also, Mike, just to let you know, in, in preparation for this show, I went back and reread Heller. OK. Um, uh, all 157 pages of it. There's a lot there, yeah. There's a lot, but I I would encourage everyone, no matter where you are on this issue, to do so. Um, just because it is is really well well written and argued. Um, and uh, you're not God, saying that Scalia, just because it's Scalia, Scalia, Scalia. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Scalia is um, most well known for his uh, for his scathing dissents, but here's a chance where he got to be actually in the scathing majority. Exactly, he pretty much was the king of scathing. But um, I, I would argue it was well argued on the other side, uh, particularly. But uh, you you might disagree with that. Yeah. Well, um, the point but, but the point never, is nevertheless. Is, what yeah. I'm saying is is I, I think you know, Mike. What we always and you know strive for on this show is to hopefully get a little more depth uh, on, on these kind of issues. So that's, you know, yeah. go read it and you'll, you'll get some depth. Yeah. Uh, if, if you, if you are someone, 157 pages worth, if you are someone who thinks that the majority, for instance, completely ignored the first part of the second amendment, you're, you're wrong. They yeah. have a different understanding and contextual view of that. And so I, I think you're right. On both sides tend to have simplistic views of the Second Amendment that I think reading both sides of that opinion can really give you a much more nuanced sense and, of. And plainly, the Heller decision does says yes, you have an individual right to bear arms, but it uh, it does not. It is not a free for all sort of. Yeah, you have you have a right to bear and carry any type of arm in any sort of situation, and there's no place for state regulation. Yeah, yeah, definitely, that's not that's not the case in that decision. So, you know, there's another proposal that always comes up after mass shootings uh, is that Congress should repeal the liability protection it gave to gun manufacturers. This is part of the uh, Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act 
2005. And some folks would actually say, well, this is, you could, you could say this is a free market sort of principle, right? Government shouldn't be giving special protections to certain favored industries. Uh, I, you're, you're a fan of free market type things and government non-intervention. Yeah. So what, what do you think about that proposal? Um, so look, I'm, I'm kind of a, I, I would not be in, Ideally, cases of liability ought to stand and fall on their own merits, right? If you can prove a gun manufacturer uh, was negligent, that they owed a duty to some specific people, and they failed in that duty and, and harm resulted, uh, then, then yes, I think you should be able to, to sue them. And let me be clear, under that law, Still, if gun makers, if they, uh, if their product is, if the gun is, or any part of the system is defective, sure, sure, or if they market, yeah, yeah, it goes if, off by accident, yeah, or if they market it deceptively, or in a way that can be seen to encourage illegal activity, they are not, they are not protected under this legislation. Essentially, right. it basically, as I understand it, it basically protects them from what have been called. And this this may sound like it's trivializing, it, but it's not public nuisance lawsuits yeah. where they are yeah. they are manufacturing, selling a legal item, but they are sued for doing so. And there were there were all sorts of lawsuits along these lines to try to basically make it so uh create a legal environment in which it would just be, they would, they would have to spend so much money defending themselves that it would drive them out of business basically. Right. And, and that I think is, is one, it's, it's inconsistent with your general principles of, of, of the law. Right. And um, I, I would even think if you could actually prove it, well, public nuisance is a little different because, you know, the statute can define that pretty, pretty broadly. Uh, and thereby make something that maybe isn't a nuisance or maybe something that might just be a political nuisance uh, into a public one. Um, yeah, I so, just, so look, I, I'm in favor of those kind of protections, right? Yeah. As long as there is still is. Um, but I, I, I don't like the idea of uh, gun manufacturers or any manufacturer, right, being held liable for the intentional act of, of some other person. Yeah, I, I read... Because I for for a while in in the past. I mean, so I, so I mean, let me for example, right? Say you're you're driving your your Honda, um, and you you see a guy crossing the sidewalk or the, the crosswalk, and you're like, I'm just going to run over that son of a bitch. Um, uh, plainly, Honda should not be liable for that. Um, now, now of course, even though there may be maybe plenty of accidents. Now, if if you you're driving along and your brakes fail and you run them over, well, yes, then Honda should be liable for that. Now, some people would point out, and rightly so, that you know Hondas aren't designed, aren't specifically designed and, and marketed to to uh, harm people, to kill people, as many firearms are. But I would argue that while that is certainly the case, it it really it kind of doesn't address the problem because as long as as long as the actual manufacture and sale of the product is not illegal, yeah. then it seems to me to be perverting justice to sue somebody for legally manufacture. So if you want to change that, I'm saying, well, then the way to do that is to put restrictions on legal restrictions on the manufacturer or sale. So to me, that's a way of uh, these sort of suits are a way of, I understood the, the intent behind them and I can be in favor of the overall goal, but I have a real problem with that method, which is why I come down on saying that, no, I, I don't think that the protection of law for commerce and arms act should be 
repealed, even though yeah. I am in favor of what that might result in, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, but I would, I would say I still, I would oppose a blanket liability. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. Um, but no, I mean, look, the, the guns with their inherent usage is, is to shoot stuff and or people. Yeah. Um, right. So even if you say, look, and this is my hunting rifle and I just, I just use it for, for deer hunting. Um, you can also say, look, I've got a, you know, I've got a hammer that I got from Sears and I just use it for pounding nails, but I, you know, I also yeah. might whack somebody over the head with it. Um, uh, clearly, uh, you know what I mean? You're, you're still using the hammer for, for the purpose for which it was intended, which is to whack something. Um, yeah, the I, fact that it's misused that uh, you're using it on a person instead of a nail, uh, doesn't change the product itself. Yeah. And, and, and then you get into the issue of, right, how these things are advertised. Of course, no one is advertising hammers in sort of a suggestive way of, hey, got some problems with the folks at work. Look at our hammer. Right. And and there is some gun advertising that arguably kind of shades into an area where it encourages violence. And I believe there have actually been some lawsuits about that. Now, that's a different issue. Yeah, certainly, But and it's, also, it's also I, I, I can't. Um, one, I think you you would look at that. One of the the ways guns are marketed, and rightfully so, one of their main uses is self defense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I certainly there's no one marketing uh, guns to say you know here this is you know the perfect gun for your mass shooting. Well, see, there's where Jay, I, I think you that's need where to we disagree. No, that's that's you, where that's where it's just not, no one is saying that specifically. But if you look at some of these these gun advertisements. It doesn't come out and say that, but there was certainly a, well, you know, when the shit hits the fan, if you want to, that, I mean, these sort of things where, is it, is it arguing for defensive or is it arguing for take action? And there's a big gray area that's, that's, I would argue, appealing to people to engage in acts of violence. And that's, that's certainly difficult to, to prove, but I think it plays into a mindset. No, I, I look. I think there's some there's something um, out there, right? And look, this is in 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 Mike. You know, I'm not I'm not particularly a gun person. Um, I've I've never never owned guns. Never you know felt the need for one. Um, I'm kind of like Batman, uh, but uh, in more ways than you know. But uh, it, but in terms of <laughs> in in terms of of um, people and companies selling things fear is always a motivator yeah right and and it can be any any number of listen you need to take this you know heart supplement uh to prevent getting a heart attack or you need to buy this gun to prevent uh you know getting you know getting shot getting killed getting held up for your own self-protection you need it um and and in most cases the threat is exaggerated well yeah um but that's not that's not to say that there aren't people who very much need guns. I think for for their own protection. Well, I think uh, that's or a, that that's or that there aren't people who you know really could use whether it's a supplement or a particular drug or something like that. Uh, but but I, I just I'm just saying fear is fear is a motivator in sales, um, and and so is the idea of safety. Right? You need this to be safe and strength. Right? I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, there's a you know, yeah, there's a. So, yeah, it's weird. You know, you mentioned you're not really a, a gun person, and I, I, I'm sort of on the opposite end of that. Yeah. From not on the opposite end 
of that, certainly. I mean, you know, I, I, as a Marine, you know, I, I handled, you know, a bunch of weapons and that was pretty, I, I had a lot of, you know, interesting and fun experiences with that. And, you know, if, if my wife weren't adamantly and vehemently and unalterably opposed to firearms, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that I'd have, you know, a few shotguns, a few rifles, uh, three or four handguns, I, you know, all kinds of stuff. But you know, all, yes. I, yeah. I, would have, I would have a mini arsenal. There's no question in my mind, but as much as I may love guns, I love my wife way more, you know, and so, but yeah, I, and so we're, we're on opposite sides of that in a way, but, uh, but, but yeah, so yeah, I mean that's it. I know. I'm, and 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 again, I think we've talked about this before on on gun shows and part of gun shows uh, where we talked about gun issues. Um, for for people who who have not fired, and, and I, I have fired guns. I've I've uh, done like sporting clay shooting mm-hmm. and stuff, which it, it that is it's a ton of fun. Yeah, and it is it is a rush, and I and I get that rush, right? Um. Uh, Try doing it with a grenade launcher. It's even better, you know. (laughs) Well, I'd imagine, yeah. (laughs) But again, never enough that that I felt I needed one or wanted one around home. Um, uh, But yeah, I I think that's that's something that there are a lot of folks in the in the country that even when I say I'm not a a gun person, um, again, I'm I'm not. I think there there are some folks who who are so just inherently anti-gun under any circumstances. Um, that yeah. it's almost a, like, you know, while there's some people who have the, like a gun fetish, right. It's, it's, there's almost an anti-gun fetish yeah, too absolutely. among other people. Sure. And, absolutely. and I think, I don't know that that's particularly healthy. Yeah. Uh, fetishes in it, general. Just in terms yeah. of our national dialogue, sure. right. Just because there's, there's this sense of you can never understand what the, the other side is, is talking about or thinking about and what they're concerned about. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with that. And that, that's why I wanted to point that out, because I'm I mean, I'm arguing for uh, greater restrictions, not because I, I hate and fear guns. You know, in yeah. fact, I, you know, I would I would I would I would prefer to have guns in my household, but I don't for, you know, for various reasons of, like I said, loving my wife more than I love guns, which is probably a healthy thing, I would say, yeah. you know, but 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 yeah, uh, one other thing I wanted to, before I forgot uh there's this issue also that's been brought up, and this is more from the right, about what's called hardening schools. Uh, the NRA had their, has their meeting going on right now. Yesterday, uh, Donald Trump called for impenetrable security at every school all across our land and said schools should be the single hardest target. This idea of single entrances, right, where yeah. then there's a security guard and that sort of thing, uh, or a, lo- a second idea kind of related to this sometimes arming teachers, arming administrators. Uh, I think we should talk about these two, because these are two of the main, we've talked about a lot of policy ideas from the left. We haven't really talked about any from the right. And those I think are the two main things. So yeah. let's start with the hardening schools. Well, what's your take on that? Uh, I, I think um, it makes sense. Uh, and and it, it makes me sad to say that. Um, it makes me sad in that, uh, when I went to school, and I imagine when you went to school, Mike, doors were open. You could come and go, you know, whatever whatever door you wanted. Um, uh, you know, there there were not. I, I suppose we had a there was a school security officer, but uh, I don't believe he was. I never armed. saw him. Yeah, or her. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. uh, yeah. You know, he was. He was kind of. You know, our security officers were the nuns. You know, and yeah, she didn't want to get on the wrong side of the nuns, but. Uh, um, 
but but no, I mean, in with uh, with my kids' school, anytime I have to go take them there, there's one entrance you can go in, and you have to get buzzed in, and you go in the one door, and then you have to get like buzzed into the the second door. Um, when the kids go into school, they do have uh, I don't they don't have metal detectors, but they do have people monitoring them uh, coming in. You have to have ID badges, and that that makes me sad that that's the world we live in. Uh, but on the other hand, I see the necessity for it. Well, let, let's talk about that because here, here's where I guess do we want do we want our schools to look like and feel like medium security prisons, right? And, yeah, and, no, and I mean, don't. and that's well, especially when we talk about and, and again, I, this is I don't mean for this to sound at all unfeeling or crass, but when we talk about the uh, un, how uncommon these events are, they're they're horrific and tragic when they happen. Absolutely, right. But then when we think about the not inconsiderable psychic and emotional ramifications of creating a, a, a prison-like environment in our schools, and that, that's a very real thing, right? There have been you know, studies of, of how, uh, how the sort of regular active shooter response drills, the emotional ramifications on kids and how they may be trauma-inducing in younger kids. Now, there, there's some mixed studies on that. But the point being is that we need to consider that as well. And so that's why I, I understand that, well, let's just have armored schools with bulletproof windows and doors and that sort of thing and one entrance. And aside from the practical concerns of making that possible and the economic concerns, and those are certainly surmountable, there's also what sort of an environment are are we creating for for learning for our children, and that that there were costs involved there. Yeah, no, and I I agree, um, and I would say that the difference is uh, schools are an exception. Explain right? what you mean. And, and schools are are a place where society ought to have the highest duty in protecting its children. Absolutely, who can't protect themselves. And yet, so, and yet, it seems to me that we're going we're going about this from the wrong angle, where we have a system where it seems to me like, from best I can tell, and you you'd be in a better position to say from personal experience, where where, where bullying and and teen anxiety and and young kids' mental health issues are just endemic, and it seems to me that the the way to address that is through much more first and foremost through much more robust systems of mental health uh, intervention and detection and that sort of thing, as opposed to creating fortresses yeah. for oh, these. Yeah. Okay. No, but, but I'm saying there's no reason you can't or shouldn't do both. Um, I, mm-hmm. our, um, our school system, and I'm, again, I do some work on local nonprofits that have um, put in a lot of money into, we have onsite counseling center uh, more outreach, uh, mental health stuff. The, 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 at least in the, the, the school system where my kids go, the anti-bullying, the mental health piece, uh, is very much in play, right? There are a lot of resources that I think are devoted to that. Uh, we've had situations, red flag type situations, uh, where the school has identified people and acted appropriately and took them out. And, and, you know, perhaps it was an overreaction, but, uh, it's it, you know in those cases it's better to have the overreaction than than to be dealing with the type of thing that we're looking at now. So then, um, and and my other my other point is is look these 
I think we'll get better at doing this in a way where the security uh, it, it's there and it feels it, it's secure, but it doesn't feel like a prison. I think that while that's it, that's tough to pull off, especially with limited resources, certainly. But I, I don't think that it's impossible. So then you could argue then that given the fact that many states, most states are are fairly strapped. Right. And they can't engage in deficit spending. Here's a, here's an opportunity. Well, no, for, I mean, we have we have a lot of states and and uh Local governments are awash in uh, COVID funds now. Yeah, but well, I guess I guess you could potentially then this would be an opportunity, right, for repurposing for federal legislation that would allow repurposing of COVID uh, unused COVID funds for school security, for instance. Yeah, yeah. And that would be the sort of congressional action that you could perhaps get behind. Yeah. That maybe maybe some sort of a one part hardening, other part it sometimes has been called softening in the sense of enhanced enhanced funding for mental health initiatives and and early intervention and that sort of thing. Yeah, what well, I would also say the the mental health initiatives that that we have in our schools it's in in partnership with the private sector through the Cleveland Clinic, mm-hmm. um, where they actually have a you know offices set up in the school. Uh, not every place is going to have those kind of resources. Uh, but I think that's that's something else to look at is is partnerships with uh, the medical and, and mental health um, field. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, that's a different intervention than just say Congress throws some more money at this. Now, money is, is part of it. But um, I, I think these, you know, you have local agencies, local charities, local um, uh, uh, organizations that can step in and, and play a part in that. Sure. But of course, for them to be able to do that, then that, that diverts their resources. They need to be compensated for that. So it's it's well, I mean, to some, to some extent they are right, especially if you're if you ever if you're a big um, I said private sector, but it's it's kind of quasi private sector. Right. It's a nonprofit hospital system. So sure. um, that nonprofit piece uh, sort of comes with a, 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 you know, inherent duty to to give back to society. Uh, and I think this. Would be I, I don't know about that, but at least in theory, it certainly should. I right. Well, I mean, you would you would, you would say, yeah, you you live tax free, and uh, therefore, you know, the reason you do is because you provide some other benefit to society. Here's a benefit that could be helpful. So right. You know, when I'm, when thinking about sort of, uh, I guess this other aspect of this that I wanted to talk about, it my not perfect world certainly, but better world when it comes to this is or country if you will uh, is is one in which i have to apply for a license to purchase a weapon and that application requires that i first pass a course in weapon safety weapon proficiency and then once i have that license i can buy a weapon but only after i show the seller whether it's a gun store a federal firearms authorized person or a gun show or a private person my verified proof of uh, you know, this basic, uh, this license, liability insurance. I have a gun license that's good for, I don't know, say four years. To renew it, I have to go to a state agency, apply for renewal. That includes a background check. I mean, what I'm describing here, obviously, is essentially the process I have to go through to own and operate a motor vehicle. And that's another kind of argument that's been made on, on the center left, right, is that why don't we regulate firearms like we regulate motor vehicles, and aside from the constitutional issues, we're right, talking about because cars yeah. aren't in the constitution. But, but to me, 
I think as a general template, as a general model, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I wanted to get your take on what you think about that. Again, certainly details are important, right? Are critical can be. But what do you think about that as just the general regulatory template, a general model? So, you know, former um, the former Ohio uh, concealed carry law, and a lot of states had a, a law similar to this, was like that. Right. That if you wanted to carry a concealed firearm, um, you would have to go through that licensing process and you would have to show do a background check. Uh, There was a class. There was a fee. um, There was all this stuff. There was a a sort of a registration, but there were safety protections so that you're, you know, there was, you know, the state wasn't keeping a database. Um, So I, 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 and maybe this is just personal. Um, uh, feelings because I had worked on that legislation. I thought that was a pretty good, pretty good uh, system. Yeah. Um, uh, now we've, we're recently moving to a, a new system where it is, it's open carry, um, which is, is more consistent with a pure constitutional idea. So, but I look, I would, I, I think you can say if, if you want to own a gun or buy a gun, I have difficulty with the, pure licensing just to purchase a gun. Um, if you want to do something more with it, like the, you know, conceal, carry it concealed. Um, I think licensing is an appropriate regime. So I, um, I guess I'm, help, help me understand the, the, the distinction, because I, I would think that it, it seems to me, at least my viewpoint is if you are going, if, if, if you are going to own something that is, not only capable, but intended in many instances to inflict bodily harm, fatal bodily harm, then it seems a reasonable stipulation that you are, that, that the state ensures in the name of public safety, that you, that you have demonstrated that you understand how to utilize that as opposed to just being able to go to the store and just say, yeah, I'll take uh, one of the AR-15s and give me a Desert Eagle and, uh, you know, and, and that Ruger there uh, while, we're, while we're at it. I, I think the difference is, like we started out the show, you, you have a constitutional right here that's in play. And, and I think a licensing system, an across-the-board licensing system, that uh, regulates even the mere purchase or ownership uh, of I firearms, okay. I think I think goes goes too far, uh, and to borrow uh, to borrow words from from other fundamental rights would place an undue burden uh, on the person seeking to exercise that. So right. I get it. So, so you're saying essentially that given given that given that there that the court has said that this fundamental individual right exists any sort of a regime that kind of puts the burden on the individual to say here is why i should exercise this right yeah. kind of fails that least restrictive means test exactly yeah that, now no, and again yeah. i think if, if yeah. you if you say hey i'm, I'm gonna buy a gun that i'm gonna keep it at home um uh you know for my own protection in my home or i'm gonna buy a hunting rifle that i'm gonna take hunting sometimes but store it in my home that's a little bit of a different situation than uh, I'm buying a handgun. You know what? I'm going to carry it around with me wherever I go. Right. Okay. Out in society. Out. I, I think there's. I, I think there is a. Um, you can draw a distinction there. Um, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and and I would argue that if we want to focus on the broader, the 
broader problem of gun violence and gun deaths, including suicides, then that, that sort of overall regulatory approach would be the most effective, but would also have run into the most uh, likelihood of constitutional problems, which is why for me, having any kind of a regulatory regime that kind of addresses the root problem as I see it would require the sort of interpretation of the Second Amendment that those four justices in the minority had in the Heller case and not yeah. the five justices in the majority. And that's that's just as a as a matter of as a matter of uh, well, reality, that's not going to happen at any time in the foreseeable future. So I'm going to throw out another. Well, let's let's go to the arming uh, people in schools because that you said that was. Yeah, I want to mention that because you know, to me, that that is the hardening thing. It's like, well, okay, I can see the case. There are things that can be done. Certainly, I think arming teachers and administrators is just an awful idea for a bunch of reasons. Number one, most of them, the vast majority of them, don't want to do that. Secondly. It's a bad idea because given how rare these events are, if you give a whole bunch of weapons to a whole bunch of people in schools, what we know is, number one, even trained, well-trained law enforcement officers, they miss more often than they hit in these sort of situations. I think the high, the high point data I looked at was LAPD did a real push for this, and they got their their hit rate up to something like forty eight percent. So, in other words, still, and that, that was considered to be like, wow, this is really impressive. Somewhere in the twenties for like the New York police, uh, New York City police. So, is that an argument for having larger magazines? Yeah, so that's yeah, it's an argument for that's an argument for you know even if even even if people who are who because I mean, we're talking about collateral damage here, right? Yeah, no, but I'm not. I'm 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 not being I'm not completely being facetious here. Okay. I am no, and and that so number one, you have to be effective if if you're if you're only effective fifty percent of the time. Um, it would be if there's no one in the oh, no one else in the area, but there are a yeah. bunch of other people. So no, it's it's bad for that idea. It's bad for the reason of there's the possibility of. Uh, People, other people, kids getting a hold of those guns. There are all kinds of cases that people, oh, I'll just put my gun down while I go to go to the bathroom or do this, lost right. guns. And so, no, I think that this is just a horrifically bad idea. And thankfully, it doesn't seem to be actually happening in a lot of cases because I think this is the sort of solution that creates a lot more problems than it actually would solve. So I disagree. Um uh, for the the following reasons, um, one, I look. I understand that there is when you're introducing guns into a situation, um, there is always the, the potential for harm. But given what we're we're looking at, right? We're we're twenty little kids were massacred. You're missing um, the point, though. You're missing the point. I mean, this is where no, no. Well, no, let me, you're, let me you're missing that. the point because you're. I think you're here's the problem is you're looking at those 20 kids and right. Okay. So the argument, I guess, is that if these teachers had guns, it would be possible that fewer or none of these kids would have been killed. Right. That's the whole point. Now more it's, it's, that's possible. That's a possibility. Right. But for that possibility to happen, you would have because we never know where these mass shootings are going to happen. They're very rare events. They're we happening would, in schools. Yes, I know, Jay. Right. That's. I mean, that's what I'm saying. So they're happening arm, everywhere. But there is. The, let's yeah. just look at school shootings. To arm sufficiently, arm enough 
arm and train adequately enough teachers and administrators to lower the probability of these extraordinarily rare events, 169 in 23 years, the collateral damage for that would guarantee be far greater in terms of gun violence and gun deaths. And so I understand this, this reaction to do this, but it is, it is an awful idea that would create far orders of magnitude more harm than it would address the problem. That's just a, that's just a, a horrible, horrible idea. I get where it's coming from, but this idea of a good guy with a gun, that is the most garbage idea I've heard in, uh, I hear a lot of awful ideas, but this is the, that is the stupidest, most ill-informed idea that I, yeah, I, I, I have a pretty strong view on this. <laughs> Can let me, you let tell? me make the case for it. Okay, go ahead and try, <laughs> but uh, yeah, go ahead and try. I have less strong feelings than you do. Um, there's something else that goes on in, in that we have a, a, a situation in our country where we have declared schools to be gun-free zones. Uh, therefore, if you are a person who is intent on shooting people, on shooting people who are unarmed, um, uh, knowing that you are not going to encounter any armed resistance, at least immediately, um, I mean, that's that makes, you know, schools a target. And I think that's that's the, you know, sort of this insane, you know, we put up we put up signs saying, hey, you can't carry a gun here. Like that's going to slow down uh, any of the people who are actually coming there to do harm. Um, how many mass shootings do we have at banks? OK, now that's a different that's a different argument. And actually, I think right? you and I might because find I some agreement look, here. If, if you know that there's a potential. That when you walk in that school, when you walk in that door that was left ajar after you've been shooting your gun outside for 12 minutes into an elementary school, that maybe the janitor or the principal or someone standing there inside um, is going to have a gun. I was with you till you said yeah. janitor or principal, because okay. it's not like in banks we're arming the tellers. Who has the weapon in a bank, Jay? Well, the security guard. There you go, the security guard. So now if you're arguing as part of hardening to say that we need more very well-trained security guards whose job, full-time job it is, to deal with these situations and train for these situations, then okay, I'm on board with that. But if you think that teachers and administrators and janitors just give them a gun and have at it, that's a shit idea. But now saying more security guards, people who are trained and can do that. Okay, I'm listening, and that's, that's reasonable. Let, let, let me continue to make the case. Oh, well, um, so if you, again, but don't you think there, there would be some uh, deterrent effect knowing that you could encounter someone with a gun? Now, whether it's a security guard or whether it's a, a, a teacher or a principal or someone else, um, I, I'm not, I'm that not arguing that, but, but I'm also saying that I'm saying that we know that if there are more guns, given the fact that these shootings are so incredibly rare, right? Again, 169 in right. 23 years across the entire United States. So our our proposal, the, the proposal to solve this, solve this, uh, not minimize this, right, is to give weapons to countless more school officials law law abiding people who sure. have volunteered for this duty and have received training to do so 
Yeah, and what what kind of training? Because we know even in cases where right their full time job right is dealing with stressful situations yeah. and getting a lot of training, police officers in these situations, what happens when they get in the shootouts? They miss most of the time. Okay. So uh, now, do I want a situation where where I no one and not to make now look? Not I don't want to make make light of this this point, but to you know quote. Um, Michael Scott quoting Wayne Gretzky, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Yeah, but the thing is, is Jay, and, and you're, I, I, yeah, I no, can't no. imagine that there's... Yeah, there's, okay, you, you say that. Go ahead and say that when there's a gunman and then there are a bunch of kids around him. And then make light of that. Well, no, I'm not... Some making, teacher, making, some teacher kills a kid. No, I mean, but it's not hitting a puck into a goal. This is a situation where there are people all around where people are going to get hurt and killed. Right. And Mike, Mike, if think of it this way: there is a gunman executing elementary school children, and people are standing around helpless. And so, so look, if you want to say, "Hey, maybe, maybe uh, the teacher will miss," maybe, but that person who is performing executions uh, will not. Right, I, I understand. And that's, that's yeah. the issue. And I, I think when you get into those kind of extreme situations, you, you have to give some people the benefit of the doubt. And, say, and I, I just can't imagine there's, there's anyone. I mean, first of all, I can't imagine being in this situation and, and thinking, well, you know, boy, I'm, I'm glad I, I don't have a gun. Well, Jay, but I, I agree with you. But I feel like you're – I'm sure you're not doing this intentionally, and maybe I'm just misunderstanding. But I feel like you're ignoring the 99.999, whatever it is, percent of the time where this will not be happening, where there will be all of these guns in this environment. Now, now I, I'm, I'm certain. Again, I'm sorry. Let me finish. Let me finish. Gun violence kind of thing. Let, let me finish. Guns just shoot people by themselves. Okay. Don't let me finish. Um, no, finish. What I am saying is that if the concern, and this maybe gets to where we're, we're defining the situation differently, if the concern, as it is for me, is diminishing gun violence, gun uh, shootings and deaths that can be prevented, and that is my main concern, yeah. then I believe that it is essentially incontrovertible that this will do more harm than good. Now, if we simply if we look at it in a much narrower sense, like, like it seems like maybe you are here, um, in just the problem of the 1% of gun deaths that are school shooting deaths, then, okay, I think that's a different argument. And then maybe you're right on that, actually. But, but to me, that's not the problem that I'm necessarily looking at because that's, that's horrific and awful. But I think about what's going to happen when there are all these guns in schools, in instances where there isn't a mass shooter, and over time, that's going to result in more harm done to more people than otherwise. That's my point. So, so no, maybe I, I, under, I understand the point you're making. Okay, um, maybe this is the the most concise way I can I can make my point is that what we've seen in in at least several of these shootings, and particularly in the last one, is that you can't depend on law enforcement to protect you. Whether, whether that's just because it's a, it's a terrible situation and there may be no good options, uh, or maybe in cases of uh, 
uh, in the other cases where where they just absolutely fundamentally failed to do their job or couldn't show up in time or made bad decisions um i i i think it's it's to me as a as a and i'm i'm I'll play the, the parent card here um i would rather i would feel safer if my kids were at school uh knowing that someone else in that school had a gun um even though in, in where i live again the cops are like 2 minutes away uh, uh you know that that there is that extra level of protection or if you will even a last level of defense um and and to to me i i think the potential risks that you're talking about outweigh the actual harm that we have seen and that in those kind of crisis situations you ought to give uh people the benefit of the doubt yeah i i i see what you're saying and uh that's a uh... That's a not unreasonable argument, though. I think that that just simply the the data in terms of looking at overall uh, death and harm just yeah. simply breaks very strongly uh, against your argument. So I feel yeah, and, and, like, to, and to be clear, I'm I'm not suggesting, hey, everybody bring your your gun to school. Uh, I'm suggesting there would be, uh, you know, people who volunteer who receive, uh, you know, fairly intensive training. Uh, that there's specifically uh, specific protocols for how those guns are stored and kept, and who has access to them, all those all those sorts of things, right? I'm not suggesting some sort of wild west, you know, uh, teacher just kind of wearing walking and wearing a holster. Um, but I think I think in terms of those that having that last, you know, last. Uh, uh, defense i think is is something that's important uh if law enforcement can't uh or won't or, or is whatever uh unable to 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 get uh, to get the job done yeah i i would go i would go so far as to agree that in 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 some instances in many instances you know as part of hardening that more perhaps more fully trained full-time security folks that might be useful but i i am just far too uh, far too skeptical, and I think the data backs me up on that about the negative effects both uh, between shootings and almost, you know, there are almost no great shootings. Again, you know, very few in the overall context of these things and the overall harm. So I understand what you're saying. Um, I, I, you know, I, obviously, I very strongly disagree. And I think, you know, clearly, this is such an incredibly emotional issue. I mean, I, I'm generally a, a not generally, pretty much always a more emotional guy than you. And I got pretty emotional during this discussion, right? Because, and that, that's why I think it can be so difficult politically, right? Because people are, I mean, I'm very emotional when I think about these, these deaths and especially when kids get into the picture, it's, it's impossible not to get emotional. And then people who, as you point out, and we both point out, have a very emotional attachment for various reasons to firearms and which is why this is just such an incredibly difficult and contentious issue and and you and I well, well I can get emotional I can kind of take a breath and kind of pull back into that's that's not always an easy thing to do especially for people who have been you know directly involved with these sort of gun violence incidents and so it's a it's it's a very it's a very tough 
it's a very tough issue. And and again, our, our hearts certainly go out to not just the not just the folks in you know Uvalde, but uh, the folks in Buffalo and the the millions of folks whose lives have been affected by the tragic consequences of you know of gun violence. Not an easy problem. So. All right. Well, uh, it's time to take a breath, I think. And um, if you are a Politics Guy supporter, we have a lot more for you today. We have uh, the results. We'll talk about the primary elections that happened this week and what we think about them. Uh, President Biden's executive order on police accountability, some uh, bipartisan regulation of, well, regulations introduced to regulate big tech the firing of that Princeton classics professor and what it says about uh, wokeness, me too, all kinds of, all kinds of stuff involved with that. Uh, I don't know how much of that we'll get to, but we will get to as much of it as possible in just a minute. If you're not a, a Patreon supporter, you can become one, go to patreon.com slash politics guys. You can also support us through Venmo or at politics guys or through PayPal. And you can find the support links in the show notes and at politicsguys.com slash support. And if you're not in a position to support the show financially, I would be happy to give you access. Just send me an email, mike at politicsguys.com, and I will be happy to get you all set up with that. And whether you're a supporter or not, we would really appreciate if you could spread the word by subscribing, rating the show, and leaving a review on whatever podcast app you might be using, and sharing episodes on social media. Thanks so much. <laughs> 